to 2 Kings chapter 18, please. 2 Kings chapter 18. The message this afternoon, I preached this message at the men's conference this last week. And I directed it mainly towards the young men at the conference. I've, I've adjusted it a little bit uh, for you uh, today. But the truths are the same, and some of the applications maybe are a little different. Uh, but the truths are the same, and I, I believe the Lord will use it today um, in our lives and I think you've gotten a taste, again, a little bit already of the direction that we're going. But I want to direct your attention to 2 Kings chapter 18 and verse 1. We're going to read down through verse 8. Then I'm going to do a little bit of uh, historical context for you. And then we'll get back to this passage again and pull some principles out of it. In verse 1, the Bible says, Now it came to pass in the third year of Hoshea, son of Elah, king of Israel, that Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. All right, so before we get started here, you see uh, the divided kingdom of Israel, okay? And verse 1 says that it was in the third year of Hoshea, the son of Elah, who was the king of Israel, and then that Hezekiah, who was the son of Ahaz, the king of Judah, began to reign. So you have the northern and the southern kingdoms of Israel here, Okay. Twenty and five years old was he when he began to reign. And he reigned twenty and nine years in Jerusalem. His mother's name also was Abby, the daughter of Zechariah. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that David, his father, did. Pay attention to that. He removed the high places and break the images and cut down the groves and break in pieces the brazen serpent that Moses had made. For unto those days the children of Israel did burn incense to it, and he called it Nehushtan. So the Bible tells us here that the nation of Israel had set up high places and images and groves, and the brazen serpent that Moses had made in the wilderness, they were worshiping it. It was an idol. They were worshiping it as God. Okay? That's what was going on in the nation of Israel before Hezekiah came to reign. Verse 5 says, He trusted in the Lord God of Israel, so that after him was none like him among all the kings of Judah, nor any that were before him. For he clave to the Lord and departed not from following him, but kept his commandment, which the Lord commanded Moses. And the Lord was with him, and he prospered whithersoever he went forth. And he rebelled against the king of Assyria and served him not. He smote the Philistines even unto Gaza and the borders thereof from the tower of the watchman to the fenced city. Before I get going here, I just want to fill you in on Noah George. It just reminded me, uh, the word Gaza reminded me of it. Um, no doubt he's been on your minds uh, as much as he's been on mine. And I've been communicating with Noah regularly uh, every other day, if not every day. Um, and currently, uh, they're fine. They're doing okay. He's staying away from any areas that there might be some aggression towards foreigners, especially Americans. Uh, they have their emergency bags packed. Uh, 
they're ready in case something happens. There are plans in place just in case. Uh, Noah is very wise. Noah is very smart in all of this. But, but Noah is in the center of God's will. And that's the best place to be. And he told me that they're preaching even more uh, that there is no peace except for with the Prince of Peace. And they're trying to keep people calm and so on around them. And so that's the update. Uh, he said in the next day or two, there's probably it, a lot will really depend on whether or not Israel makes uh, a ground assault in Gaza or not. And if that is the case, then things may escalate and ratchet up even more. Uh, but they're trusting the Lord. They're praying that God would still use them mightily, even in the midst of trouble. Uh, but just to let you know, he's okay. We are communicating. He does have a plan. And we're also trusting the Lord. So that is the latest with him. I appreciate him very much. And uh, I've got, I'm, I'm getting texts and calls all the time from preachers all across the country asking about him, praying for them, and so on. And so I shared that with Noah as well, uh, that, that we're, not a, we're not the only ones uh, that are praying for Noah George or that are concerned about him. Uh, pastors and churches all over America and even in some foreign parts of the world are concerned and praying for them as well. And so that was encouraging to me too. Uh, it speaks to uh, his reputation and it speaks to uh, the reputation of Black Road Baptist Church as well. And so thank the Lord for that. Amen. Um, I just wanted to uh, make you aware of that before we move any further. All right. So back to our, our text here um, this afternoon. Um, by way of introduction here, let me just reiterate the fact that, that God, as a child of God, God wants to bless your life. God wants to bring blessing into your life. He wants to show himself strong in your life. He wants to show himself strong on your behalf. And the reason for that is because he is our gracious and loving heavenly father. He's our father. And what father doesn't want to richly bless their children? How much more the Lord, his own children? God wants to do that. That is the heart of God. But all too often, God cannot do all that he wants to do in our lives because we get in the way. We won't allow him to bless the way that he wants to. And these verses that we've read here in verses 1 through 8, they tell us of Hezekiah, who did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. It tells us of the, the condition of the nation of Israel, how they were before he came to reign, and how they served and worshipped idols and so on, and how Hezekiah uh, made some adjustments and, 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 made, and put some things in their right places and started to direct their, uh, uh, their hearts and their minds back to the one true God. Our text also tells us in verse 7 that he prospered whithersoever he went because the Lord was with him. And he experienced blessing in his life in the nation of Israel because he followed after the Lord, he clave to the Lord. Then our text tells us that he rebelled against the king of Assyria and served him not. And it tells us in verse 8 that he smote the Philistines even unto Gaza and the borders thereof. Now, verses 1 through 8 are set in contrast to verses 9 through 12, because I want you to look at that. And it came to pass in the fourth year of King Hezekiah, which was the seventh year of Hoshea, son of Elah, king of Israel, 
that Shalmaneser, king of Assyria, came up against Samaria and besieged it. And at the end of three years, they took it. Even in the sixth year of Hezekiah, that is the ninth year of Hoshea, king of Israel, Samaria was taken. And the king of Israel did carry away Israel unto Assyria and put them in Hala and Haber by the river of Gozan in the cities of the Medes because they obeyed not the voice of their God, but transgressed his covenant and all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded and would not hear them nor do them. So do you see the contrast here? In verses 1 through 8, Hezekiah, who's king of Judah, rebels against the king of Assyria. He smites the Philistines. But Israel, on the other hand, is besieged and they're taken away. And the reason is, is because, verse 12 says, they obeyed not the voice of the Lord. They didn't follow the command of the Lord through Moses. They wouldn't hear it and they wouldn't do it. Do you see the contrast? One experienced blessing, the other one did not. Now these verses, like I said, they're set in contrast to verses 9 through 12. If you read the rest of this chapter and into the next, it gives us the story of how Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came to destroy Judah. Look at verse 13. Now in the 14th year of King Hezekiah, did Sennacherib, king of Assyria, come up against all the fenced cities of Judah and took them? Look at verse 17. Verse 17 says, And the king of Assyria sent Tartan and Rabsiris and Rabshekah from Lachish to king Hezekiah with a great host against Jerusalem. And they went up and came to Jerusalem. And when they, came, uh, and when they were come up, they came and stood by the conduit of the upper pool, which is in the highway of the fuller's field. Now skip down to verse 28. All right, so the king of Assyria, he comes up with a great host. He's going he's to try to take Judah. And he comes up and he stands before Hezekiah with this great host. Now look at verse 28. Verse 28 says, Then Rabshakeh stood and cried with a loud voice in the Jews' language, and spake, saying, Hear the word of the great king, the king of Assyria. Thus saith the king, Let not Hezekiah deceive you, for he shall not be able to deliver you out of his hand. Neither let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord, saying, The Lord will surely deliver us, and this city shall not be delivered into the hand of the king of Assyria. Now skip to verse 33. Hath any of the gods of the nations delivered at all his land out of the hand of the king of Assyria? Look at verse 35. Who are they among all the gods of the countries that have delivered their country out of mine hand, that the Lord should deliver Jerusalem out of mine hand? But the people held their peace and answered him not a word, for the king's commandment was saying, answer him not. Do you see what's happening here? They come up with a great host. They're going to besiege and take Judah. Here is one of the king of Assyria's men who says, hey, don't let Hezekiah deceive you. Don't think that you're going to escape, that you're going to be able to, to escape the, the hand of the king of Assyria. Look at all these other countries and all of their gods. Which one of them has delivered you, them out of, out of the king of Assyria's hand? How do you think that your God is going to deliver you out of the hand of the king of Assyria? So don't let Hezekiah deceive you. All right, everybody got the story? In chapter 19, Hezekiah is found to be in a place of deep affliction. He's worried about this. 
It's a big deal. And he's comforted by the prophet Isaiah. And Isaiah prophesies concerning the outcome of the king of Assyria. And all that was prophesied concerning it came true. Look in chapter 19 and verse 32. Therefore, thus saith the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, he shall not come into this city, nor shoot an arrow there, nor come before it with shield, nor cast a bank against it. By the way that he came, by the same shall he return, and shall not come into this city, saith the Lord. For I will defend this city to save it, for mine own sake and for my servant David's sake. Now let's just read on a little bit farther here. In verse 35, And it came to pass that night that the angel of the Lord went out and smote in the camp of the Assyrians an hundred fourscore and five thousand. And when they arose early in the morning, behold, they were all dead corpses. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and went and returned and dwelt in Nineveh. And it came to pass, as he was worshiping in the house of Mizrach, his god, that Adramalek and Sherezer, his sons, smote him with the sword, and they escaped into the land of Armenia. And Esarhaddon, his son, reigned in his stead. And so Isaiah gives a prophecy concerning how all of this was going to shake out. He gives it to Hezekiah. And we read at the end of the day that all the things that the Lord had said came true. That the king of Assyria did not come and destroy Judah. The king of Assyria didn't shoot an arrow. The king of Assyria didn't make a bank against it. All that the Lord had said came true. Now the point is this. I did all of that to tell you this. The protection of Judah... The change in the mindset of Judah, their ability to be blessed of God because God was the one who defended them. God was the one who fought the battle, right? We read that. Their ability to be blessed of God and have the protection of God when the king of Assyria came to defeat them, all of that was directly traceable to King Hezekiah and the things that he did to put himself and the nation in a position where they could be blessed of God and where they would experience the merciful hand of God on their behalf. And that's where I want to go with this message because, like I said in the beginning, God wants to bless our life. God wants to deal mightily in your life and mine. But all too often, we're the ones who get in the way and we don't put ourselves in a position where we can see the blessing of God. So I want you to go back to our text in chapter 18, and I want to pull some principles out here and see some things that Hezekiah did that enabled him to have the hand of God and the blessing of God on his life. Let's pray, and then we'll begin. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd help us here today, and Lord, that you'd help us to examine our own lives, and Lord, to have our heart's desire that all I want to do above everything else is to please you. Lord, I pray that as we draw some principles from Hezekiah, Lord, that we'd be able to uh, see some areas of our own life uh, that we need to adjust or we need to consider so that we put ourselves in the best possible place to have the blessing of God on our life. And I pray that you'd use it for your glory and honor. In Jesus' name, amen. 
The first thing I want you to note that Hezekiah did that put him in a place where he would experience the blessing of God is that Hezekiah chose the right motive for his life. Look in verse 3. The Bible says, And he did that which was right in the sight of who? The Lord. Hezekiah did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, not in the sight of his own eyes, not in the sight of his own understanding. Hezekiah made a point to align himself with what was pleasing to God. The verse also tells us there are two things in here. First of all, he did that which was pleasing in the sight of God, not himself. But secondly, it tells us that he followed good examples in his life. Verse 3 says that he did that which is right in the sight of the Lord according to all that David his father did. Now the question is, was David really his father? Was David his biological father? No, David was not. Ahaz was his biological father. If you do a study on Ahaz and how he ruled, Ahaz was the cause of the nation of Israel setting up the high places and the groves and worshiping idols and causing them to rebel against the Lord. Ahaz, his, his father, his biological father, was an awful king. He was not a godly man. He was a terrible man, in fact. And he did not do that which was right in the sight of the Lord. Now, a lot of times people say, you know what, I want to be like my dad. Not everybody says that. But people say, I look up to my father and I want to be like my father. Hezekiah could have done that. Hezekiah could have followed the example of his biological father, but he chose to follow a different example. He did that which was right in the sight of the Lord according to all that David, his father, did. And the Bible says that David was a man after God's own heart. David obeyed the Lord. Hezekiah chose to do something different and follow good examples. Now we can make some applications right here. You might be a teenager. You might be a young adult. You might have some, uh, you know, some, some aspirations and some plans in your life. You might have some thinking about what you want your life to be. You might have some people that you look up to, people that you might want to follow. But listen, let me tell you something. The best thing that you could ever do is to make a, a choice in your life that you are going to do that which pleases the Lord. The right motive and priority for our lives ought to be I want to please God. That's the foundation. That's the first step. Hezekiah's main concern was that he was pleasing to God. He did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. He wasn't foolish, so foolish as to trust his own heart or be guided by the light of his own eyes. Listen, my friend, there are so many people today who have access to truth, who are even part of New Testament churches, who have the word of God in front of them, and the thing that drives them, and the thing that motivates them, and the thing that guides them is their own understanding, the way that they think. It's a mistake. I think that this is going to bring me happiness. I think that this is going to bring me contentment. I think, I think, I think. You know what it takes to align yourself with that which pleases the Lord? A getting rid of I think. 
To align yourself with truth takes some humility of heart. To align your life with what pleases the Lord takes some humbleness of heart and mind. And it takes a, a heart that is willing to take a look on the inside and say, what is it about me that is not pleasing to the Lord? And be like the psalmist who said, try my reins. Know my heart. See if there be any wicked way in me. Why would he do that? Because his motive was, I want to please the Lord. And if there's something wicked in me, it needs to be gone because I want to please God. Are, are you following me here? Joshua, in Joshua 24, 15, had the same heart and the same mind. He said, as for me in my house, we will serve the Lord. That was the highest goal. And listen, if pleasing God in all that we do, like the song said, if pleasing God in all that we do is really the motive and the goal for our lives, something's going to happen. Whenever there's truth that is presented, and there's something about my life and something about me that is not necessarily pleasing to the Lord or something that is preached that I don't necessarily want to submit myself to or, or whatever. When an issue comes up, whatever that may be, if pleasing God is really the goal of my life, then it doesn't even matter what God brings up or what issue comes up. My heart issue or my heart response is going to be, okay, Lord, I'm yours. If this is what you want from me, it's yours. You have it. Because all I want to do is please you. That's not the way it is so often. That's not the response that so often God's people give. When something is preached or some truth is brought out, or there's some inconsistency in my life, or there's some discontentment, maybe it's in relationships with other people, and so on. It's like, hey, there's a problem. You have a problem. And you need, if you really want to please God, and you want God to work in your life, that needs to be fixed. And our response is, mm, mm. well, they did this. Right? Well, if you understood how they lived, you would understand why there's this thing. No. If my heart is, Lord, I want to please you in everything that I do, and there's something in me that you want to refine, then my attitude ought to be, I humbly submit it and surrender it to the Lord. And I see what I am, and Lord, I need you to fix me and heal me. I've told you this before. There was a point in my life where, I mean, I like to joke around. I like to have fun, like to rib people. and It's not serious. It's not personal. It's just part of my personality. I used to do that a lot and be accused of having a sharp tongue. And being sarcastic. And all that was true. And it was just like a part of my life. And it's fun. It doesn't mean anything. But it was brought to my attention at one point that, you know what? If you're going to represent Christ, and you're going to be an example of believers, and you're going to be a servant of the Lord, 
this is an area of your life that needs to be changed and be refined. And my first response is, why is that? My flesh. Wanting to control. But then the second response is, you know what? I actually do want to please the Lord. And if this is something that the Lord is revealing, my attitude should not be one of resistance. My attitude ought to be one of surrendering. And I had to come to the point in my life where I had to recognize it for what it was and say, okay, Lord, is that something you want changed about me or refined me in? Then you can have it. I still like to joke around. I still like to have fun. But you know what? Our, our tongues ought to be used more for edifying than for tearing down. Our tongues ought to be used more for building up than to than sarcasm and joking and so on. And it's okay to joke. It's okay to have that kind of relationship. But I'm just saying it's an example of the fact that issues reveal themselves, but the flesh wants to rebel against it. And if pleasing the Lord is truly our heart's desire, our response and our attitude is going to be, Lord, I'm yours. And if this area of my life needs to be adjusted, then I'm willing for you to do that. And by your grace, I'm going to conform to whatever is pleasing in your sight. Hezekiah did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. Hezekiah also followed good examples according to all that David, his father, did. There's a side application here. You know, you might be a young person who you grew up in a Christian home. And all too often we are products of our environment. <laughs> the way that we're raised, it shapes us in so many ways and how we think and how we operate. Did you know that there are sometimes bad character traits in, your, in parents that get transferred down to kids? Just as a way of encouragement and as a side note, you don't have to be exactly what your parents were. You need to decide for yourself that I am going to do that which is right in the sight of the Lord. Sometimes there are very bad trends that get passed on to the next generation. You have an opportunity and a responsibility to stop the trend if it's not pleasing to the Lord. And you also cannot ride on the coattails of your parents. You have to choose for yourself that I am accountable to God for me, and I am going to do that which is right in the sight of the Lord, and I'm going to choose good examples to follow in my life, the things that are also pleasing to the Lord. You've got to have the right motivation. Hezekiah chose the right motive for his life. Sometimes there are things that might come up and we legitimately don't understand it. Maybe it's something that's preached. And a heart attitude ought to be something like this. You know what, Pastor? I might need some clarification in this particular area. Would you help me understand this a little bit better? Because I really want to be pleasing to the Lord. I really want to do 
what's right in the sight of the Lord. That's a humble heart. I think we keep ourselves from real blessing if we're unwilling to yield to the Lord in a higher standing of godliness. The Lord wants to take us upward. We, in the way that we think, are not the standard of what is godly. You understand that? It's this book. And thus saith the Lord. Why do we respond that way so often? Why are there issues that come up and just certain things are just sore spots for the children of God? Well, it's our stubborn, sinful flesh that doesn't want to give up control. And the very fact that something is an issue often shows that that is actually something the Lord is wanting to do in your life. Hezekiah made up his mind that he was going to do things that were pleasing to the Lord, and because of that, he put himself and the nation into a place where he could be blessed of God. We, as children of God, need to choose the right motives for our life. My greatest treasure, my dearest treasure, the thing that I hold the most dear is to see the light of the small. Amen? What is it that motivates you? What is it that controls your life and your thinking? What is your greatest treasure? The second thing I want you to note is in verse 4. Hezekiah did something else. In verse 4, we find that Hezekiah put things in their right place. In verse 4, it says, He removed the high places and break the images and cut down the groves and break in pieces the brazen serpent that Moses had made. For unto those days the children of Israel did burn incense to it, and he called it Nehushtan. That word Nehushtan just simply means a piece of brass. So in other words, what that is saying is the people took that and, and, and it, was, it became an idol, something that they were worshiping, and Hezekiah took it down and he just called it a piece of brass. He called it what it was. That's not a god. It's a piece of brass. The Bible tells us that he removed the high places, that he cut down the groves, and he break the images. He also, we don't read it in this passage, but we read it in 2 Chronicles chapter 29, that he took all of the vessels that his father had corrupted, all the vessels of the temple. He caused all the uncleanness to be cast out of the temple and all the vessels of the temple to be restored. And the point is, and we, let's go over to 2 Chronicles 29. We'll just, I'll show it to you real quick. We'll just read a few verses here. In 2 Chronicles chapter 29, verse 1, Hezekiah began to reign when he was five and twenty years old. And he reigned nine and twenty years in Jerusalem, and his mother's name was Abijah, the daughter of Zechariah. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that David his father had done. He, in the first year of his reign, in the first month, opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. Up to that time, his father had shut the doors of the house of the Lord. Now I want you to, to skip down to verse 16. Verse 16 says, And the priest went into the inner part of the house of the Lord to cleanse it and brought out all the uncleanness that they found in the temple of the Lord into the court of the house of the Lord. And the Levites took it to carry it out abroad into the Kidron. 
Now they began on the first day of the first month to sanctify. And on the eighth day of the month came they to the porch of the Lord. So they sanctified the house of the Lord in eight days. And in the sixteenth day of the first month, they made an end. Then they went into Hezekiah the king and said, We have cleansed all the house of the Lord and the altar of burnt offering with all the vessels thereof and the showbread table with all the vessels thereof. Moreover, all the vessels which King Ahaz in his reign did cast away in his transgression have we prepared and sanctified and behold there before the altar of the Lord. The point I'm making here is Hezekiah began to put things in their right place. The things that dishonored God were broken down and they were cast out. While the things that were honoring to the Lord, those were the things that were set up. He was putting things in their right place. And the application is this. The hindrances to our spiritual growth and our service to the Lord, the things of our lives that are dishonoring to God, those are the things that have to be removed. And the admonition and the instruction be received in our life. And all too often, friend, there are images and there are high places in our own hearts, in our own homes that occupy a higher place and a higher position of esteem than God does. They need to be cast out. I'm going to take it a step further. Because there are things that a Christian can allow to be a part of his or her life that may not be inherently evil in and of itself. But because the flesh is so attached to these things, they eventually become powerful tools in the hand of the devil to keep us from serving the Lord. For example, I picked on this one a little bit in the men's rally because I was talking to young men. You know, video games in and of themselves may not be inherently evil. But we have in our culture something that we might call prolonged adolescence. Where boys in men's bodies are running rampant. When people ought to be men... They ought to be productive members of society. They ought to be character. They ought to be principled in their life. But instead, their life is really uh, uh, controlled by their desires of their flesh, the passions of their flesh. And they would rather sit there and waste a bunch of time playing video games than being responsible or being principled or being disciplined in their life. Why is it that there are 30 and 40-year-old men who, that's what they do. They play video games in their mom's basement. I had a guy tell me just recently, he's like 30 years old. He's like, if I could, if I had the option, if I had the chance, I would go back to my mom's basement so I could play some more video games. I'm not even kidding. That's what he said. Because his life was a lot easier then. Mom did all the things for me. Mom took care of me. I didn't have to be responsible. Listen, I'm saying that's exactly the problem. There may not be things that are inherently evil in and of themselves, but our flesh is so attached to things that they become powerful tools in the hand of the devil to keep you from being what God wants you to be. 
Now, if you play video games, that's your business. I don't even know. I just picked on it because I was talking to Wayne Miller. It could be something else. It could be something else that grips you, that controls you, that is not a sin in and of itself, but when it begins to dominate your life, now it's taking a higher place than God. Okay, you understand what I'm saying? The devil's purpose is to destroy. The devil's purpose is to keep you and I from honoring the Lord, giving glory to God. The devil's purpose is to make your life useless for the Lord. And one of his greatest tools is the deceitfulness of our own heart. And if Satan can get us thinking a certain way, then he can distract us with things and they'll end up taking a higher place in our lives than the Lord does. Hezekiah made up his mind that he was going to put things in the right place. The things that dishonored God, they needed to be out. The things that honored the Lord, those were the things that needed to be set back up. And the same is true in our life. Thirdly, I want you to look at verse 6. Verse 6, the Bible says, For he clave to the Lord and departed not from following him, but kept his commandments, which the Lord God commanded Moses. I think this is a great principle here. Not only did he choose the right motive for his life and that he was going to do that which was pleasing to the Lord, not only did he set things in their right place, but the Bible tells us that Hezekiah chose to walk in the right path. The Bible says here he claved to the Lord and departed not from following him, but kept his commandments, which the Lord God commanded Moses. He claved unto the Lord. He departed not from following the Lord. And once he had made up his mind to make things right, listen, he didn't allow himself to go back. You ever been there? Dealing with something in your life, you make it right with the Lord, you're doing okay for a while, and then all of a sudden you find yourself right back where you were. You understand what I'm talking about? If pleasing and honoring God is truly the desire of the heart for us, then Hezekiah's attitude is also going to be our attitude. I'm going to cleave to the Lord. I'm not going to depart from following Him. But let me say to you, when you make that choice, when you determine that I'm going to follow after the Lord, I'm going to follow Christ, you better be prepared for what comes next. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, Then said Jesus unto His disciples, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Denial of self, crucifying the flesh, is what is required to follow after the Lord. You know what? It's not going to be easy. It's going to be painful, in fact. 
because the things of life and, and the flesh, they grip us so much, and we're going to make a change, and we're going to go in another direction. You better be prepared for what's coming next. It's going to hurt. But you got to be determined. I'm not going back. Matthew 16, 25 says, For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. And whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. Oh, I don't want to let go. Oh, the flesh doesn't want to let go. And I'm holding on. I'm trying to save my life. You're going to lose your life. How many people wreck their lives? Because they do that which is right in their own eyes. But whosoever will lose his life will yield it to the Lord. My life is yours. I surrender it to you. He's the one or she's the one who's going to find life. It's always the right thing, and it's always the best thing, and it's always the safe thing to follow exactly where the Lord leads. Maybe you're struggling with some area of surrender in your life even now. Something you know you probably should let go of. Let me tell you, and let me encourage you, you'll never, ever be disappointed by laying it with the Lord. Never. Sometimes it can be hard. But when you finally do, when you finally let go, and you experience the blessing of God in your life, you look back and you say, why was I resisting so long? What is all the fuss about? I should have let the Lord have this a long time ago. And I think all of that led to this last thing, and we see it in verse 7, where the Bible says the Lord was with him, and he prospered whithersoever he went forth. You know what Hezekiah experienced? Hezekiah enjoyed and experienced the right kind of success because he did that which was right. In the sight of the Lord. The Bible says that the Lord was with him and he prospered whithersoever he went forth. You know what? There is no failure when we're walking with the Lord. We're going to prosper. It doesn't necessarily mean wealth. People look at money as prosperity and success, but that's not the way it is in God's economy. Temporal things. Money, prosperity, that's all wood, hay, and stubble. It's all going to get burned up. It's not going to last. It's always going to disappoint. The richest people on earth are some of the most miserable people on earth. Real success in life is gained through faith in him and following after him and yielding to him. That's where real success is. And if we're walking with the Lord and we're surrendered to the Lord, we're going to find that the Lord is with us. The Lord is working for us. The Lord is confirming it in my life, little by little, day by day. God's powerful hand is at work in my life. And how awesome it is to watch God do things that only God can do. He's doing it for me. Wow. Hezekiah 
And the people of Jerusalem, they experienced God's protection. They experienced God's blessing because Hezekiah made some wholesale changes and he restored things to the way that they were supposed to be. He put things in the right place. He had the right motive for his life. And all of that put him in a position where he could experience the blessing of God. God really does want to bless your life and mine. But he can't like he wants to when things are out of their rightful place. And the admonition or the instruction or the encouragement or the challenge today is consider your life. Is that what guides you, motivates you? Are you driven by, I just want to please God in everything that I do? Or is it something else? Are there things that have a higher place than God in your life? Those are the things that need to get out. If you want to experience success and blessing, following after the Lord is the pathway of blessing. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for its truth, how relevant it is for our lives. And Lord, I pray that we would be people who are not hearers of the word only, but we are doers. And Lord, that our heart's desire and attitude is, Lord, I want to please you. I want to surrender to you. There's nothing more important to me than the smile of God, than pleasing the Lord. So help me surrender to your will. Help me put things in their rightful place. Help me to get out the things that are dishonoring to you and set up those things that are pleasing in your sight. Help me not to walk according to the light of my own eyes or my own understanding. But Lord, help me to align my life with your word. And that's the place that we're going to find real blessing, real success. So Lord, as you've spoken to hearts today, I pray that there would be a tender and humble response to you even now. In Jesus' name.